Hello and welcome to Sports by Northwest from the Oregonian and Oregon Live. I'm Bill Oram, sports columnist at the Oregonian, and it is a big week, not only for the podcast, but also in college football locally, where you have Oregon State hosting USC on Saturday in Corvallis, and Oregon traveling up to Washington State after the Ducks' big win against BYU. The Cougars are 3-0 and um, after some big wins of their own. So really pivotal tilts in the Northwest when it comes to college football. But the game of the week, for a variety of reasons, is USC at Oregon State. Quite possibly the last time we'll see the Trojans in Corvallis with them set to head to the Big Ten in 2024. Oregon State is 3-0, kind of on the outside looking in of the top 25. And it made it the perfect time to reach out to an Oregon State legend, Ken Simonton, who is the all-time leading rusher at Oregon State, uh, led the Beavers to a win over USC in 2000, and now is working as a federal investigator for the Department of Labor back in his hometown in the Bay Area, has two kids, coaches youth track, has a foundation working with schools, a really, really interesting guy who's had a really interesting path since he's, since he left Corvallis and, you know, made his mark on, on college football locally, uh, leading the Beavers along with Jonathan Smith, now the coach at Oregon State, to that 2000 Fiesta Bowl win, you know, a real legend in Oregon State football history and now a guest on Sports by Northwest. Hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to the show, Ken Simonton, Oregon State's all-time leading rusher, uh, one of the one of the most memorable figures in Oregon State football history. Uh, the tailback on that great 2000 Oregon State Fiesta Bowl team played with Jonathan Smith for four years. Um, Ken, welcome very much. Uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Ah, oh, man, thanks for having me. So the reason I wanted to have you on is we've got Oregon State hosting USC this weekend in Corvallis. It's a game you have some familiarity with. And also with all that's happening in college football, pretty widely seen as 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 quite possibly the last time USC will play in Corvallis. And, you know, you had so many big games in your career and so many memorable moments. And even before we started taping, you said that the 98 uh, game against Oregon was the most fun you've had playing college football. Obviously, the overtime game uh, when when you when you punched it in to, to, to beat the Ducks in 98. But the game that comes to mind, especially this week, 2000 against against SC in Corvallis, you went off for 234 yards. Um, the Trojans, I think, were ranked number nine in the country. And you guys, nobody knew how good you guys were yet. What do you remember about about that game and in, kind of in the context of the season you guys went on and had? Well, before we even go there, you, you kind of mentioned, you know, the impending exit of SC. So uh, I just want to kind of open up by saying I hope their chancellor and all the decision makers get hemorrhoids for the next year uh, for <laughs> making that decision. Um, but to the 2000 game, I don't think we knew um, quite how good we could be or – uh, were developing and SC was always that standard. If, if you go back and kind of look at our schedule, it seemed like every year the first three games we had, you know, non-conference, we would be three and zero. For some reason, somebody decided to always schedule SC as the first pack game, and it, it, you know, it was a mental block. It was a it was a tough hurdle, and I think that year uh, to physically beat a top ten USC team, we just knew skies were the limit from that point forward. So it was a huge game, you know, for us, uh, just internally as as well as obviously for the university, it was real big. You, you know, I I wouldn't call it a rivalry, Oregon State and USC in the traditional sense, but it does seem like when you look at the history of Oregon State football, there's been something about those USC games. When Oregon State is good, those games end up really being kind of the 
almost the, the, the tentpole games that kind of tell you where the Beavers are. And you can go back to the giant killers of 67, you know, then you, then 33 years until you guys come along in 2000. But then you saw it again kind of throughout the, the decade, 06, 08, 10. They win it last year in LA. Um, how do you view kind of the relationship, you know, in the, within the conference between Oregon State and SC? And why do you think those games have, you know, periodically sprung up to mean so much? I think it's always been, you know, like you said, for the past 40 years, more of the David Goliath story. I mean, SC has always been that standard bearer uh, when you talk about Pac-10, Pac-12 football, um, that tradition, that history. And I think, you know, like you said, going back to the Giant Killers, we've been fortunate to be able to knock them off at some key points to kind of establish that generation's Oregon State squad. And I think there were decades literally where we couldn't, you know, we could not um, rise up to that challenge. And for them, and let's be honest, Corvallis has never been a comfortable place for opponents to come and play. Um, mm-hmm. It's gotten better throughout the years with certain amenities, locker rooms. But you go back in the past, it's like, you know, I think the only worse environment is Cal, you know, going into that nasty little pink locker room and walking up those stairs. So Corvallis, the weather, the travel, uh, you know, you having to drive 40 minutes no matter where you flew into, uh, there's always, you know, um, a different element coming in there. And I think it may be easier for a team like SC to um, maybe let their guard down a little bit, even when they know we play them tough. So I think it's it's always a challenge of SC to stay up, to come into Corvallis. And it's always kind of impending upon Oregon State to, to play up to make sure that, you know, um, our skills and our game plan matches their talent. So kind of famously, you – if I if I have this correct, you originally had plans to go to SC when when Mike Riley was 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 on the staff there. Is that is that correct? Oh and, man, and, yeah, I was. My then, bags were and packed. Tell that man. tell that story. Yeah. So uh, Mike Riley recruited me pretty much from my sophomore year. He was um, we were you know rivals against a big national program, De La Salle, and you know you have scouts from all over coming to see their games. And I, I want to say my sophomore year. I don't know, I probably hit him up for about 130 on the ground, a touchdown, another 90 yards receiving and a touchdown, um, really on like 12 touches, you know, just which, um, you know, humble brag was kind of a typical day for me. But the fact that I did it against De La Salle, by the time my senior year came around, uh, Riley didn't even ask to see film. He, he kind of was like, I know what this guy is. And uh, he actually found, we didn't even have a home phone at the time. He found my grandmother's phone number. And on the first day we were able to get uh, calls as recruits, you know, my grandmother calls and says, you know, some Mike Riley just called from USC. So um, I was a done deal. I was a USC Trojan tailback you through and through. And uh, he calls one day and anybody who's heard Mike Riley speak knows, I mean, you know, unless Ned Flanders calling you, you don't mistake Mike Riley's voice. So calls and he's like, Kenny, this is Mike Riley. And I'm thinking like, yeah, coach, uh, I recognize the voice. (laughs) And uh, he tells me he's going uh, to Oregon State. He's telling me he's accepted a great opportunity. He's excited. He wants to build a winner. He wants to recruit kids and know how to win. Um, And he wanted me to come up. But he did say very clearly, he said, look, I know your heart's set on SC. And if that's where you really want to go, I'll still put in a good word for you. Uh, Which to me just sold me on the character of the man. At the time, I was still thinking like, nice to know you. But it ended up working out where um, a man was just a man of his word, a man of character, and um, I decided to follow him up to Corvallis. 
and in the process, sort of establishing a run of of great tailbacks in that in that program as well. Yeah. And you know, Oregon State has established sort of this reputation as as a great program for running backs as well. And that kind of started with you. Uh, going back to that that two thousand game against SC, you know, you guys end up winning at thirty one twenty one. End up, you know, the only blemish on the on the on the season is the loss at Washington. Uh, beat beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, but that, in that game, I think you guys were tied fourteen fourteen in the second quarter when a possum gets on the field. Do you remember this? <laughs> I do. And, I do. And I, I is is it, it, it in a game where the unexpected was happening, right? Where Oregon <laughs> State was rising up and 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 upsetting, um, you know, the mighty Trojans of USC. Does that does that moment when the possum gets on the field and runs and runs the length of the field does that does that resonate kind of in your in your kind of the the absurdity of all that was happening uh, in that moment? You know what's funny? Um, it's not until you either like see old clips or uh, somebody's kind of you know. Every so often, one of the the comrades will shoot out like you know part of one of our little highlight tapes, and you remember that it's it's not um it's not a part of it that I, I typically remember. Whenever it's brought up, it's kind of like oh that was crazy, and literally, I don't know what it was about this possum, but every time he veered left or right, it seemed like the crowd would cheer louder, and he'd go straight and and it literally almost went the full length of the field if I remember, and all the way into the end zone and. The crowd erupts. It just was kind of one of those nuts things like only in Corvallis, you know. <laughs> it really was um, a strange occurrence to, to go along just with a magical night. So you um, obviously played with Jonathan Smith. You guys are linked in Oregon State history as, you know, the tandem that people think of with, with, that, with, that, great, with that great team in 2000. What have you um, made of his coaching tenure? Obviously, the Beavers have gotten better every year. Three and zero now going into this, this SC game. Is this how you saw this going? And, and and then I would also wonder what the relationship is now. Like, how often are you in his ear about kind of what you're seeing? Uh, none. Um, I stay in my lane. If if Smitty <laughs> ever has a question, I mean, we will talk about recruits from time to time. Kids in my area that I may have coached or seen. And so you know, Smitty will call and ask what I think about a kid, or you know, do I know him, or if there's a connection. And that's about it. I, I, I kind of try to, you know, there's so many people that want to take advantage of those relationships, um, be it former teammates, colleagues. Uh, that's just not me. Smitty does not need my guidance or input. Um, I was one of those that was really stubbing for him, um, you know, to to get the position for Oregon State to reach out and make that offer. We've always known what Smitty was. I mean, this is a man who played at a very high level and Never took the chance to to go professional. It just he knew he wanted to coach, despite whatever giftings and opportunity he had. He knew he wanted to coach. He came there knowing, like most of us, you know, could have had ideas of playing ball at the next level or doing other things outside of the game. Smitty was one of those guys who always knew he wanted to coach. For him, you know, being under some of the staffs that he was under, from you know Erickson to Riley to. You know, the staffs at both Boise and um, and UW, you knew that guy was going to be successful. And, you know, my only thing for him the last two years was just kind of like, you know, one, you need to make sure your coaches are recruiting some dogs. I don't want just a bunch of nice guys on your roster. And two, what the hell are you doing with this defense? Because uh, your offense is putting up points. Um, 
So, you know, I, I definitely won't mince words um, if I think, you know, there is a gap or a deficit. But, man, that's so far and few in between. And, again, he don't need me to say that. That's just me, you know, being a brother and – I'm going to say it because I can, but um, always rooting for him. I, I went down to Fresno two weeks ago and I got a chance to see him before the game. And, we, you know, we talked family and kids. And then we just talked about, hey, we need to get this nasty taste out of our mouth from the last time we were down there uh, when, the, you know, car, you know, ran wild on us. So uh, it was good to get that win and be able to be there to support him. And that's pretty much our relationship, man. We, we're generally checking in on wise families and, uh, we may talk a recruit here and there, and that's about it. So I asked Jonathan about that 2001 game at Fresno State that um, younger fans may not remember, right? Yeah. But if, <laughs> I mean, you guys are coming off the huge win over Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Those who remember, I mean, you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated with Joey Harrington. Sports Illustrated ranks you guys number one, and you open the season down at Fresno State. Um, and and like you said, David Carr just absolutely uh, you know picked you guys apart. Yeah. Um, Jonathan was very diplomatic about that when I asked him about it. You know, the idea of if there was some gratification of getting that taste out of his mouth and, and a little bit of um, retribution on, <laughs> on his playing career. And of course, you know, he's focused on his kids now. But but for you, I mean, it's two decades since th- that. But it sounds like that was like that was gratif- that was part of the gratification for you. I hey mean, that's all the reason I was there. You know, <laughs> I, I wanted some get back in their house. I don't. You know, uh, I hold grudges and don't let Smitty fool you. Um, (laughs) Smitty reminds me a lot of, you know, Riley, that people didn't realize how competitive that guy really was until the game on the line. He's like, get back out there. Let's go for this win. Forget the tie. And you're looking like, really? And, you know, that was just his M.O. Like, we're here to win. Let's go get it. You know, he put his guys in position and, you know, he didn't shy away from any opponents, any games. If somebody wanted it, Mike Riley was like, okay, we'll go into LSU. You think about that. As competitive mm-hmm. as we think Erickson is, you know, you see the national titles in the rings. Who really went and took the real games? You know, mm-hmm. Mike Riley went and got the LSUs and, uh, you know, where Erickson's kind of a little more, ah, let's play this game a little bit. You know, Mike Riley like, let's go get it. So Smitty's got a lot of that in him from both of those gentlemen where uh, – you know, don't let him fool you. He was happy to get out there, you know, with a good physical win against a really good team in a, in a tough environment. I mean, I told Smitty straight out. Well, I wasn't obviously talking to Smitty, but when I called for tickets, I was like, I'm not sitting in that stands. You put me on the sidelines. I'm not I'm not going in that stands with those Fresno fans. I mean, those are the Raider fans of college football. So tough place to be. Always good to go out and get that win. Did you did you expect him to send Coletto out there for the win in that moment, or did you? I'm telling you, man, that is a Mike Riley. Okay. You know, absolutely. That's that's the way we learn the game. That is, that's how we were coached. You know, our first years in college, and uh, I would have expected nothing less. That is that is the competitor in Jonathan, and you know that's the way we learn the game. Absolutely. You know what it reminded me of, kind of in Oregon State history, and a Mike Riley moment was that 06 Sun Bowl against Missouri, if you remember, that was a crazy back-and-forth game. And then uh, I think it was in overtime, uh, Evanson Bernard goes in, you know, they go for two to win the game in overtime instead of, you know, doing the, the safe thing. So, yep. you know, what you're saying, there's an example of Mike Riley doing the exact same thing in a, in a hostile situation. Yes, um, yes. What do you think of this Oregon State team? Now, you've seen them up close. You were on the sideline. You know, you've probably seen SC, too. I mean, they yeah. are the they are the – you know, obviously the favorite in the pack in the Pac-12 right now with all the with all the transfers and Lincoln Riley. 
Um, do you what? How do you how do you see the Beavers' chances this Saturday? You know what, man? Um, you're at home, so you always got a puncher's chance. I think we have two big physical backs. I mean, those kids are big kids. Uh, standing on the sideline with them, it's just like golly. So. You add Coletto in there. I think, you know, we have to go in there and be physical. Um, you cannot go, you know, stride for stride with SC. This SC looks like SC. And mm-hmm. anybody on the West Coast knows what that statement means. I mean, it, some years SC is just on paper they're SC. But this squad looks like SC. Um, they're coming in there high fire powered. Uh, on both sides of the ball, man, they're disruptive. They get to the quarterback. They stretch the field. Woo! Scary business. Um, and especially, you know, watching, you know, the one real physical team we played was Fresno. We didn't do a great job of protecting our quarterback, and we didn't do a great job of getting to theirs. So you're automatically going there saying, man, that's a clear mismatch right there, that the only way you combat that is you got to get big. Those big bruisers up front, have to be challenged early and often. And I want to see both of those running backs, you know, in between those tackles. I want to see Coletto getting some opportunities early. I think we have to be physical um, and slow that game down. Because if we try to go air wing against them and just, you know, stride for stride, it's going to be a long night. And it, it could get out of hand early. And so I think you look at the successful Oregon State teams, we ran the ball well and we played great defense behind it. And we always had the ability and some playmakers to stretch the field, which this team does. So I think they have the ingredients. Um, and truly, uh, this team still has enough youth to where it's not really live or die if you win this. Um, but you being able to go and compete four quarters and play some smash mouth football and create that identity, um, you'll start chipping away at that 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 crown a little bit. And, you know, you'll set yourself up later in the season for who knows what. So you mentioned uh, going pro and the dream of going pro a little bit earlier. And you um, you went and played in NFL Europe, which you know hasn't existed for 15, 16 years. And I don't know if too many people can really imagine even what that league was like, let alone to be playing in it and to thrive in it. I believe you were the offensive MVP one year in, in, uh, playing in Scotland. Can you explain what that experience as a football player was like? <sighs> you know... Um... I would I would liken it to kind of a I don't know man almost like a traveling college circuit I you know it, it you definitely did not have the same standard across the board talent wise and not a knock to the European players but the way the league was set up it was trying to build you know that that equity that that fanfare you know a ton mm-hmm. of soccer rugby fans not a lot of football fans and so the the goal of the league was to introduce the game have some local talent so i was in scotland so we had about four five you know cats from the uk that you know some had played several years so they had their little following and it was the same when you went to spain germany um, that you kind of had that mix of newer players. Some of these guys have been playing eight, nine, 10 years in this league. So they had some experience. Some may have been second, third year players. Um, so it was a developmental league. Uh, it was kind of like your D league in basketball, but it was a great experience, man. You know, uh, for a young kid, um, 
you know, I get to, even as a mentor now, I get to tell people that the game has taken me all over the world. Uh, I've scored touchdowns everywhere from Hawaii to Germany. Hmm. Uh, I've gotten to play in historic stadiums where, you know, Jesse Owens, you know, went against the, you know, the, the Nazi regime and had all his gold medals and played all throughout England and Spain and uh, got to see the little old topless ladies in, in Spain, which uh, was a strange thing to, to do on your off day. Um, so just, you know, it was, a, it was a great experience seeing the the history of Europe um, and getting paid to play ball. You ain't making a lot of money, but the experience itself uh, was amazing. And I still actually have connections with, you know, some of the teammates from the UK and, and other parts of the country. Uh, matter of fact, heck, I got a text yesterday from my counterpart in Scotland uh, named Mo Hicks that we played a short stint together with the, with the Niners. And so hmm. he was, you know, sending me film of his son. And so just a great experience. And, I, you know, I wish there were more opportunities for athletes to kind of work that gift and, and just learn how to be a pro and see the world, you know, outside of just the NFL. And I think Canada was a good experience as well. Before we let you go, do we need to talk about the hemorrhoids some more and what we think about SC and UCLA going to the Big Ten? You know, just looking at the makeup of the Big Ten and, and USC and UCLA deciding to make that decision, I think we have now kind of completely broken down this myth of college athletics. Um, it's not about the student-athlete experience. Um, it's not about amateurism. It never was. I think between the NIL and these decisions, I think we're finally just being straightforward and honest. This is a business that young men are now able to start cashing in on. I think it was a terrible decision for SC and UCLA. Just the the travel, the you know, the fans is just completely different. And I'm really hoping that based on the business economics that the PAC is now looking at programs like Fresno, who for years they said, oh, well, academically they're not up to par. Well, who cares? It's not about academics because if it is, USC and UCLA would not be traveling to Iowa and Maryland and places they're not going to be asked to go. It's ridiculous. Um, it's not conducive to the student-athlete experience. Um, you don't really add much into that conference. You don't have the regional dynamics. And so I, I hope we're we're looking at, you know, these rowdy programs like Fresno to say, hey, they play good ball in three sports. I hope we can raid Texas when, you know, those conferences start splintering. It's just a mess. And I hope we could find a way to catch it and preserve uh, because I think there's just great histories in these conferences um, to be able to play great ball in the region, build natural rivalries. So, yes, I hope the chancellor, the president, everybody who had a hand in this decision, matter of fact, even in the Big Ten who allowed this, I hope they all suffer from diabolical hemorrhoids for at least six months to a year, preferably during the season. Well, and 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 what kind of what you were talking about with the relationship between Oregon State and SC, right? That is something that is lost. And SC yeah. doesn't care. SC doesn't care that they don't have to come back to Corvallis ever again. They're thrilled. But yeah. but for Oregon State, like you said, that David and Goliath, it did provide kind of this once a year measuring stick. And and Maybe you were going to lose nine out of 10 years or yeah. 32 in a row, but it created this dynamic of when that breakthrough came, it really, really meant something. And, and to be kind of left behind is, is a real loss for those, for those kinds of programs. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's terrible for the fans of college football. And I include myself in that, you know, not just those who play or played the real college football fans, the real Pac-10, Pac-12 
the Rose Bowl was bigger than the national championship. Like I grew up wanting to go to the Rose Bowl. I could have cared less about anything else. And so, you know, that was just a big part of who we were and it was in our DNA. And so as fans, we really miss out when we don't have, you know, those regional rivalries, those family rivalries. I have so many classmates and people that know me from college ball that I just meet and we, we have watch parties to, you know, whether it's baseball or, you know, there's a hatred. There is a real, you guys suck. You're the beavers. I'm like, man, look, I got plenty of film knocking you guys upside the head. Like, you know, and it, it, it's that banter that do you get that if you're playing against Maryland? How many Maryland fans, how many Iowa fans are we going to have out here on the West coast? So it just, it, it definitely, um, it tarnishes, you know, what we, what we've built out here in this region. Um, you know, that Pac-10, Pac-12 culture. And it, eh, it sucks. It sucks. All right. Well, Ken, before I let you go, can I get a pick for Saturday? Uh, Yes. My prediction is it's going to rain, thunder, and hell. <laughs> and if nothing else, Oregon State is going to kick USC in the damn shins hard. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't know. I just want a good game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ken Simonton, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, look forward to seeing you on the sidelines sometime in Corvallis soon. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks to Ken Simonton for taking the time to talk to me today. And thank you to all of you for listening. If you've enjoyed this interview, please subscribe to Sports by Northwest anywhere you get your podcasts. Share if you enjoyed if you enjoyed the conversation. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps people find us. And these are the kinds of conversations we're going to be having every week on Sports by Northwest with the newsmakers and legends and you know, contemporary figures in sports in our state. It won't just be college football. We're going to have interesting conversations every week that will help inform and um, push the conversation forward. So thank you to Ken Simonton for for joining us. Um, if you have ideas of people you'd like to hear from on the podcast, please feel free to reach out. I'm on Twitter at Bill Orem or email Orem at Oregonian.com. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Sports by Northwest.